Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that God will meet you in this time with a fresh revelation of His love for you and that you will be challenged to align with the amazing plans that God has waiting for you. Here's this week's message from Pastor Claude. So Father, we thank you this morning that we can approach you and we can come to your throne of grace, that we have access to your chamber because of Jesus. So we just open our hearts up and we want to tell you that we love you, that we want you to be real in us, that we want you to to come and speak to us this morning. You know us by name, you know all the details that concerns us, you know each person here, each person, person watching online and you have a word in season and you want to speak and and bring a a conviction or lead us closer to you and closer to your will and we thank you lord that your word does come with an impact in our lives and we say yes to what you want to say and what you want to do this morning and all the people of god said amen you may be seated if, if you're new, if you, you weren't here in the last weeks or since the fall, we've been talking on the book of Nehemiah, brick by brick, and so the focus was on working together with God to see the progression of God's kingdom. And uh, so we're going to wrap up uh, this, uh, this book today. We'll be uh, looking at chapter 13. And um, what we find in this book, or in the book of Nehemiah, like I mentioned, it's about building And uh, what we find in chapter 13 is the call for us not to forget. Can you tell your neighbor that we're not called to forget? Um, Paul says in in Philippians that we're called to uh, forget the old things and to move forward and to press on to take a hold of what God has in store. For sure, when it comes to life, there's things that we have to let go uh, we are not called to walk in guilt and condemnation. We're called not to see our past reflect our future. So we want to see God take care of our past, right? We want to see God come and, and, and heal us from the things of the past so we can move forward. But at the same time, we don't want to forget the good things. We don't want to forget who God is. We don't want to forget his word. We don't want to forget our calling. And when it comes to life, it's so easy to be wrapped up with all kind of things, and, and you'll be entering the Christmas season, and it's going to be busy, and, and um, it's really not a Christmas, season, a Christmas message, but, but I think it really, um, the chapter 13 talks about the need for us not to forget, and uh, I, I think to, to remember it takes work. Um, it's so easy for us to forget. It's so easy for us to turn the page and just move on and forget priorities, forget uh, why we're here. Uh, one of the things we always have to remember is the why. We never want to for, for forget the why. Why are we here? We don't want to forget also what God has called us to to. Um, to, to take, to, uh, to, to get involved in, or what God has given us from uh, a relationship with Him, also the privilege we have to have a relationship with Him, but also a relationship with others. So it's very important for us not to, not to forget, but to remember. And in chapter 13, what we find is, we find the people, they, they started to forget what God has, had done, and God had done tremendous work he had brought the people back into the promised land. They, they uh, saw the temple being rebuilt. They saw the walls being uh, reconstructed. And now they were safe from their enemy. And, and, what, and what happened is that they started to get comfortable 
And they started to miss out on the calling and the purpose that God had for them. You know that comfort is very good, but at the same time, comfort can be a, a, ba a bad thing when we lose or when we, when we don't remember. And when we look at Jesus when he walked on earth, um, he gives this, this story of this lost sheep. And he talks about, or he gives this parable of the lost sheep, about uh, the shepherd that leaves a 99 to go save the one that was lost. It's a beautiful story, right? A great story to teach your kids. And, and you could have that in kids' ministry, grow ministry, little sheep and, and a shepherd. And, and Jesus goes for the lost sheep. And, and when Jesus tells a story, he talks about the Israelites that they got lost. And, and they forgot who God was. And they got caught in all kind of rules and regulations. And, and, and they forgot who Father was. They forgot who their God was. And, and so when we look at the book of Nehemiah, it's the same thought. They forgot who God was. But with the story of the lost sheep, what's amazing is even though uh, we get lost or the sheep is lost, there's a shepherd that goes for us or comes for us. Amazing, right? So when Jesus talks about this lost sheep, he talks about us or talks about the Israelites that, that are drifting away. And, and, and the sheep got lost little by little, right? And, and so got lost to a point where it didn't know where it was. And then, the, and then the shepherd comes and finds that sheep. And that's the beauty of Christianity is that we get lost. We do mistakes. Uh, uh, we, we walk in independence of God, and God always comes back and rescues us if we want to. And this, I think it's very important for us not to hide ourselves. When Adam and Eve uh, fell into sin, the first thing they wanted to do was to hide, and God was pursuing them. And I want you to know one thing is God is always pursuing you. And the thing is, when we talk about having Jesus as a Savior, sometimes we only talk as Jesus' Savior when it comes to salvation, but he always wants to rescue us. We only always need rescue. So wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, remember this, and maybe this is, can't be applied for you today, but it will be at one point you'll need to hear this, that Jesus wants to rescue you. And he wants to help you out. And don't fall in guilt and condemnation. Don't get in the place you think that you're um, um, unredeemable or too far down the track or, or there's no hope for you. Wherever you are, Jesus uh, wants to be part of your life. And so I invite you, wherever you are on this journey of, of life, remember that Jesus wants to reach out to you, okay? I think that's so huge. And when we look at the Israelites, through the journey of the Israelites, as they were preparing for the Messiah, you can see that they walked away from God, and God always came to rescue them. So that's the heart of Father God. And, and, but one of the things that we're called to, to do is we're called to remember and not forget. Like forget, we don't want to forget his goodness we don't want to forget his love for us. We don't want to forget the plans that he has placed, uh, that he has prepared in advance for us to practice. We don't want to forget eternity. Um, we don't want to forget um, the things that we find or the principles that we find in God's word. And what we find in chapter 13 is that the people are starting to forget. If I give you a little snapshot for those that were not here, in chapter 8, it's an amazing chapter. It's a chapter of revival 
The people are touched by God. Uh, the people are standing for three hours listening to the word of God. Another three hours a day in worshiping and, and prayer. And, and God is at work in their lives. And they come in, in, in chapter 9 and they confess their sins. And they say, we don't want to go back to the old ways. We want to see, uh, a, a, we want to trace a, land, a line in the sand. Meaning that we're not going to do like our ancestors. We're going to commit ourselves to God. And it's a marvelous chapters because it's chapter that reflects revival. Um, uh, biblical teachers will say this was the first revival in Israel, the first revival that we know of where the people came to God and turned to God and, and encountered God and, 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 and brought back worship in the temple and it was celebration and, and, and it was an amazing time for Israel. They, were, they came back from captivity from Babylon and now they were, in the, they were in the promised land and they were rejoicing over the Lord. So that's that's what we see in chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. And I want to read from Nehemiah 13, verse 6, starting verse 6. And it talks about Nehemiah. He says, I was not in Jerusalem at that time, for I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the, the 32nd year of his reign, though I, I later asked his permission to return. So here what we find is that um, Nehemiah was there for the building of the wall and uh, preparing the people for what was next. And actually, they were preparing for the Messiah. And, and so he was governor of Jerusalem for 12 years, and then he left. We don't know how long. The Bible doesn't say for how long he left. For sure for five years, probably a decade. And then he comes back. And then he finds the people, he finds Jerusalem like not, it wasn't like when he left. Uh, something went wrong. Um, he, he, he remembers chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. We know that he didn't have the book like we do today. But he remembers the event and the story. And he remembers the commitment of the people. He remembers how God moved in a powerful way among the people. He remembered the protections of the protection of the Lord against the enemy as they were building the wall. Remember, we were talking about the enemy wanted to come in. And, and they were walk, working at the wall with a, a sword at hand and a shovel in the other, right? They were working at the same time they knew that they were under attack, and, they re and Nehemiah remembers the victory and how God gave him victory and also protected the people, but now he comes back in chapter 13, and the people are not following, this. They, they start to forget uh, in their short time what God had done, and there's four things that the people for forgot, and four things that I don't want to forget, and four things that Nehemiah reminds them. The first thing that Nehemiah reminds them is, uh, don't forget your enemy. And we're not called to forget our enemy. So what happened is, they forgot their enemy. You remember in the story is that they're building the wall and there's enemy that, want, that doesn't want them to build the wall. Because the moment the wall is built, that means that they're secure. And so there was a lot of pressure from, from other nations and the other kings not to see the Israelites build a wall. And so there was, they, built, they built the wall under pressure. It was hard. It was challenging. But finally, they built the wall. But if you look at verse 7 of chapter 13, it says, it talks about Nehemiah when he comes back to Jerusalem. It says, when I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about um, Eliashib's evil deed in providing Tobiah with the room in the courtyards of the temple of God. Tobiah. Can you say to your neighbor, Tobiah? <laughs> Tobiah. 
Well, what we know about Tobiah in the previous chapters, he was an enemy to Israel. He was the one on that hill um, looking at Jerusalem and cursing Jerusalem and threatened Jerusalem and also wanted, he's the one that wanted to kill Nehemiah and the leaders of Israel that wanted to build a wall. So think about that for a moment. Nehemiah comes back. He sees the wall. It's still there. But he sees one of his main, the main enemy of Israel having a room in the temple's cart. And the temple's cart. Not anywhere else. Is This is where they celebrate worship to God. What a, what a thing. So he freaks out. And he gets all the stuff of Tobiah out of the room. Because the room that was there, that Tobiah was in, or was living in, or had his stuff, was to be set apart for the temple when it comes to grains and offerings. And now we have this enemy of Israel living in the temple's court, and he's there. And the people don't really do anything about it. Uh, if you would have seen that in chapter 8, the people would have said, no way, he's not going to live in, in the temple. No way, no room for him uh, uh, beyond the wall because he's the one that wanted to destroy us. He's an enemy of God. He's an enemy of us. But in chapter 13, no big deal. No big deal, right? You see how the enemy works? It's one step at, at a time. It's like little by little. It's like a spider that builds his web. When we look at sin... A little sin, it's not a big deal. A little sin gives birth to another sin, and then we try to convince ourselves it's not a big deal. It's like, oh, it's just, we just have Tobia in the temple. Well, the goal of the enemy is to put a wedge between you and God, and the goal of the enemy is for, for, it's to put a wedge between you and others. We are in a spiritual war, like it or not, and there's a battle going over my head, and there's a battle going over your head. And the last thing I want to do, listen, I don't want to forget that I'm in a battle. I don't want to forget that there's an enemy. I'm not focusing on the enemy. I'm not focusing on the battle. I don't want to spiritualize, spiritualize, spiritualize everything. And I don't want to focus on the negative. But one of the things I need to know is that I'm in a battle. And the enemy wants in. And so if the enemy wants in, I need to be prepared. And the last thing I want is the enemy to filter in my life. Because the enemy, if he filters in my life, if I let him come in the temple's court or I let him in my life, it's going to do damage. There's something's going to happen from that. So I've got to be aware of that, that there's a spiritual battle going on. And the enemy wants to bring bondage in your life. And he wants to bring bondage in my life. And you know where the bondage will be? In relationship. Look at the first family. Look at the first family. What the devil wanted to do was to create, uh, separate man and woman from God. That's what he wanted to do. And the second thing that he wanted to do was to put a wedge between husband and wife. And the third thing he wanted to do is to put a wedge between brothers. He's never changed. He does the same thing. So look at your situation. Look at your relationship with God. Look at your relationship that you have for others. Have you ever spiritualized it? When you have um, issues with siblings, issues with coworkers and all that, do you realize that it might be a spiritual battle? That the enemy wants to come in? He wants to settle in your life and what he wants to bring, it's confusion and division. That's what he does. Always has done that, always going to do that. And you know what? It also sleeps at your door. 
It's also regarding you. And sometimes we look at the biblical story and we don't personalize it or we think it's just events. It's the same thing for us. We're dealing with the same stuff. We're dealing with the same challenges. And if you have um, your Bible, take a look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And I believe that this text is underrated. It really is. It's like this spider that's building a web. And little by little, just one um, silk uh, line at a time, it's just building a web. And the plan is to get me into bondage. And that bondage will look like me having a wedge between God and me having a wedge with other people in my life. You're still with me? Because God is about reconciliation. The devil is about division. That's what Jesus came to do. Reconcile us with the Father and reconcile us to each other. And so there's a battle. The enemy doesn't want to see reconciliation, and God wanted to see reconciliation. This was where the spiritual battle lays. So look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. A final word, a meaning, not just it's the end of, of the book, what, but an important word I want to share to you. Be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Meaning that we can be strong in God because of God. It's not about self-help book here. It's about God coming in. It's about what, it's, what you see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. Is God moving in us, God empowering us. It's a supernatural work of God in us that makes us capable to do what we're called to do. Did you know that God can do that? Amen? God can do that in a supernatural way, that God doesn't want us to go on our, according to our own fuel and our own energy. He wants us to tap into him, and he empowers us. So what we see here is be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. But look what I'm called to do. Put, put on all of God's armor so that you can be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Can you tell your neighbor strategies? Can you say that? Strategies. Because they're strategies of the devil. For we are not, listen to, to this, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. It's not people, but against evil rulers and authorities in, in the unseen world, against mighty power in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Verse 13 says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will, you will still be standing firm. So, so it, talks about de, it talks about deactivating the work of the enemy. Be conscious that you're in a spiritual battle. When you know there's a wedge that can, create, that can be created between you and God, you're aware of it. When, when you see there's a wedge that the enemy wants to bring in relationship in your marriage and your family with your kids, with your siblings, whoever is around you, to be aware of it, to realize that we're in a spiritual battle. I could just stop here, and that would be enough food for thought, because we are in a spiritual battle, and there's a battle going over your head. And I know that sin wants to come in to put a wedge between you and God, and I know that sin wants to come in and put a wedge between you and people around you. Believe alive, take offense, and the list goes on and on and on, right? Got to be aware of that. You know, I, I'm called to remember that there's a spiritual battle. And when time gets tough and when the road is not as straight as I wish, I need to remember 
There's a battle going on. I'm not going to fight in flesh and blood. Look, look at the last two years, what we went through, right? If we focus on the physical, we chew each other up, right? But when we start to think about the spiritual, aha, uh -huh, it changes everything. Because we know that there's a spiritual battle going on. So, so the Israelites, coming back to chapter 13, they forgot their enemy. Wow. They had Tobia living in the temple. Ah, oh, unreal. But what about us? Who are we letting in? We're letting sin take root in our lives? Or are we le letting the enemy come in, walk in, and, and don't see that it really matters for him to, to be out and to cleanse the room? And this is where we come before Jesus, washes by your blood. We come to the cross. We experience forgiveness. But we don't want to give that room. Amen? Secondly, what happened with the people is that they forgot God's work. They forgot God's work. They forgot about worship. They forgot about discipleship. They forgot about the temple. And that's what it says in verse 10. He says, I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food. So they and, and the singers uh, who were to conduct the worship service had all returned to work in their fields. So there was, they didn't bring anything to the temple. And so the Levites were not able to to continue in their, in, in their worship and serving and bring offerings to the Lord. The ministry to God stopped. They were, so, so what happened is that that was one of the first things that happened in chapter 8. Ezra, we have the book of Ezra also. Ezra was there as, as a high priest, and they restored worship to the temple. And there was energy, tithing, offering, giving to the temple so that worship and service and discipleship would happen, teaching the kids, the, the, coming back to God and having God in the center of everything. And when Nehemiah comes back, they forgot the temple. Like the Levites and, and the singers are off into the fields, are not able to conduct their praise and, and, and the praise and the worship and the offering to the Lord. And so when you see this is that as we go, we got to remember not to forget the work of the Lord. We can't forget the work of the Lord. I know that we have all things to care for. And like it says in the book of Agai, when they came back from, the, from, the, when they came back from Babylon, the first thing they did is they focused on their house. And God says, don't forget the temple. Go on, go on the, the hills, get the timber, and build the temple. And, and so they went back to this thought that they lived their life without focusing on God's kingdom. And I think it's very important for us not to forget God's kingdom. Yeah, we got to take care of home. we got bills to pay and all this. But we don't want not to be generous. We want to be a people that is generous. And we want to invest in God's kingdom. We don't want to forsake the house of God. And, but we don't also want to forsake the ministry that comes from this house and ministries beyond this. And, and so that's what you find in, in chapter 13. They're not caring for the temple uh, anymore. Did you know that God partnered with them? Do you know that God wants to partner with us and, 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 and when it comes to generosity? And I think generosity is a principle to live by. I remember someone saying, well, you know, when it comes to tithing and giving, it's an Old Testament thing. No, it's not. It's a principle to live by, to put God first in your finances, to put God first in everything in life, but to say, God, I give to you what belongs to you, not out of law, not out of the law, but out of the principle to live by. And, and what happened in chapter 13, the temple was, was forsaken. 
forsaken. Look what it says in Proverbs 3, verse 9. It's an amazing text. It says, honor, because giving is a question of honor. You honor God. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and the best part of your income. Look what it says in verse 10. Then your barns will be full and your vats will overflow with fresh wine. Meaning that you focus on God and God will take care of you. And if you don't have a spiritual mind, you don't get that because it doesn't make any sense. But it's, it's very clear that when you put God first and you focus on him and you are open to love on people, invest in the kingdom of God, um, be part of what God is doing, God blesses you and keeps and takes care of, take care of you. And Mark chapter 12, verse 18 says, you know, they want, the Pharisees wanted to catch Jesus. They wanted to have a, 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 like a, a legal reason to arrest them. And they, they wanted to challenge him when it comes to, to the money to Caesar. And they wanted to see what he would say. And, and they got, a, uh, like Jesus got a, a coin out, I, I believe in the story, is out of, out of a fish. And he says, then, then he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And he says, give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. So we, we understand give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, meaning you pay your tax, you, you do what you're called to do as a citizen. But you also give to God what belongs to God. What, what does God, what does, what, uh, what does God belong, what does he have, let's say? <laughs> that sounds better. It, it, everything that we have belongs to him. But we have to realize that we're responsible for his kingdom, and God is partnering with us, so, so, so we don't want to forget his work. And that's what happened with the, when it comes to the people of Israel. They, they, forgot their, they forgot the work of the Lord. And there's a verse that is so powerful when it comes to generosity. It, it's so powerful. Let, let it sink in your heart. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured onto your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. You don't give to get back. But what it says here, when you give, God will take care of you, and he will. And so second thing that the people forgot was they forgot God's work. The third thing they forgot, they forgot to connect with God. They, they just did life. Like I said earlier, life is busy, and you can, caught, you can be caught on just doing life. From hockey to piano lessons to work to this gym to list goes on. Eh? We run from one place to the other, <laughs> and we finish our week, and we're totally shot. And then we arrive on Sunday, and it's, there's so much to do. And sometimes what happens is it never stops. We go, 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 go. And there's a problem when we go, 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 go. We never get refueled. So what happens with your car, even if the price of fuel is expensive, even though it's really high, you still have to fuel. <laughs> it would be kind of cool to say, I'm going to run on empty and it's going to go forever. It would be kind of cool if that would happen. But the fact is that if you don't fuel up, you run out of fuel. It's the same thing when it comes to our lives. You cannot listen you cannot go on and on and on and on and not refuel. Doesn't matter how smart you are. Doesn't matter how, how young you are and how you have a great memory and you have a great past. If you don't fuel, it's going to show. 
And it's going to show in your life, but it's also going to show around you. And what happened with the Israelites, they stopped fueling up. And so what they did is they jumped the Sabbath and they just did whatever they wanted. They stopped honoring the day of the Lord and there was no time for God. That's what it really meant. They had no time for God. Look at verse 15. Look at their rat race. In those days I saw the man of Judah treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath. They were also bringing grain, loading on the donkeys, bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and, so, and all sorts of produce. To, the, to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. It's way more than the Sabbath, is that they were just running and running and running and running, and they did not take time to fuel with God. Remember, you need him in your life. Remember, you need to connect with them. If you want to follow him, you cannot do it without connecting with them. You might be very busy, but you're not too busy not to take time with God. It's essential in your life. You've got to be, you got to be re, um, revived. You've got to be refueled. And I like what it says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all of you are struggling hard and carry heavy loads. I know there's a ton of people here that are working hard. There's a ton of people here that are carrying extra load and it's heavy. And he says, and I will give you rest. He says in verse 19, put on my yoke, meaning follow me. Put me first. Be my disciple and learn from me. And the moment you become a disciple, you learn from him. What will you discover? He is gentle and humble. And you will find rest for yourselves. Like, rest is so important. Peace is so important. I don't have the stats of how people are anxious in our world today, but it's off the chart. Like to see people that are all kind, on all kind of medication to appease that anxiety and that stress is unreal. I'm not saying that there's no medical problems here, okay? Get me right. But at the same time, I know is that we don't take time to refuel. If I share my heart to you, I'm an anxious person. I remember going to see the doctor when I was about 25. I was a young pastor, and I was dealing with strong anxiety. And he looked at me, and uh, he was saying, Claude, you shouldn't be a pastor. You, you should step out of, of the ministry. And then he wanted to prescribe me some medication to, to, for me to, to have because I was anxious. It's like I had a storm inside, but nobody would see, right? And it was to a point where I was grinding my teeth and there's so much stress. You know what I said? Maybe I should go to God with that. And I started to spend more time in his presence. I started to experience his presence. I would experience his peace, his peace. And it made such a big difference in my life. For sure, I have to watch my calendar, my agenda, because that wants to come in again. But one of the things I realized is taking time with God solved lots of my anxiety problem. You see? It might be pliable to you. You might be different than me. But for me, that was essential. So, so, so I need to connect with God. I need to see him take my burdens. So I don't want to be caught in this rat race of life and forget that I need to rest in him. Amen? The fourth thing that they forgot is they forgot to live differently. They compromised their values. They really did. 
Look what it says in verse 23. About the same time I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. And that was not, if you look at chapter 12, they said, no, don't stay as a people in the preparation of the Messiah that was supposed to come. In verse 24, it says, furthermore, half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and some other people and could not speak the language of Judah at all. So, so he comes back, and half of the kids are not even, they can't understand Hebrew. And so how can they read the law? How can they study scripture? How can they worship God because they don't understand the language? So what happened is they, they got caught by the culture, and they forgot their, their call to be set apart. And, and as a church and as a believer, we're called to be in the world, like it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, but we're not of the world. So we're called to shine, but we're called to be different. And what they forgot was to, that we're called to live differently, that they were called to live differently. It's the same thing for us. We're called to live differently. Amen? The way I live should be different from the world. You know, I cannot have a, I have to have a biblical worldview. I cannot follow the, the ways of how the world sees stuff. I've got, I've got to, to go to God and I have to have a biblical worldview. So I'm called to live differently. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 14. How do you live differently? That's one of the snapshots we can see. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. We could just stop there. <laughs> Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Because when you don't do that, people say, okay, what's wrong with you? You're being different, right? And it's because of the Holy Spirit in you, right, that brings that conviction and that leading. And it says here, leave clean, innocent life as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Don't forget. Hold firmly to the word of, li uh, of life. That is the word of God. And I'm just going to read John 17, verse 15. I'm rushed by time here. But it says, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. We live in it, but we're not from it. Look what it says in verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you send me into the world, I've sent them in the world, meaning that we are sent into the world. But look what it says. Sanctify them by the truth. And your word is truth. I need to be sanctified by his word. You know, when I'm sanctified by his word, when I let the word of God prevail in my life, then I have a biblical worldview. When I look at sexuality, definition of marriage, purposes in life, goals in life, I've got to go to the word of truth that sanctifies me. If I don't go to the word of truth that is called to sanctify me, I'll buy in. In the culture. And that's what happened with the Israelites. You see? They started to buy in the culture. And the next step was again walking away from the Lord. So Nehemiah comes and he says, Whoa, Buck. Stop here. No more. Don't, don't compromise your values for the sake of the world. And so it's important for us to realize that we're dealing with the same stuff, right? 
We're dealing with the same stuff. The word I have for you as I conclude is don't quit. And please don't give up. Don't quit and don't give up. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, so let, not, so let us not get tired doing what is good. In the right time we will reap a harvest. Can we say this? Reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So when we look at Nehemiah, a beautiful book of God's faithfulness, of God rebuilding a nation, and the call of the people was not to give up when they were building a temple, and at the same time, not to quit walking with the Lord. And that's my challenge for you. Don't quit walking with the Lord. Even though life is busy, even though there's challenges, prioritize your time. Remember the things of the Lord. Remember who God is. Remember uh, the, the promises in the scripture. Remember that you are in a spiritual battle. Remember the work of the Lord. Remember that he is faithful to carry you through. Amen. Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.